0: Good morning, church. I tell you, uh, what a joy to hear the saints singing songs of praise. I know uh, I had my mentor once uh, told me, and she kind of shared with our church as we were growing up, that you want to see, if you want a sign of a church that's being transformed, that the gospel is making a difference in their lives, listen to them sing on a Sunday morning. Listen to them. Because hearts that have been affected by the gospel will respond with rejoicing. And, you know, I, I kind of tell you, I move around every Sunday. I always like to sit in different spots, kind of mess up y'all stuff, so like Jordan and Maggie, get have to sit on the back row. Um, but, like, sitting up front, I was able to hear the voices of Sulphur Community Church uh, singing this morning, and that's such a joy. It's good to be back. Uh, This this past week, I I got to spend some time, half a week. Sean and I kind of split a week at Dry Creek. Uh, Heather was a counselor at Dry Creek this week, so our youth uh, were able to go to Adventure Youth Camp. Uh, We had some lost voices, some injured knees, a bunch of smelly feet and armpits, but we're back. Uh, So I would encourage you, church, if you see some of our youth, ask them what they learned this week at camp. Ask them what their experience was like. Youth, I would encourage you be open to, to sharing that because somebody can benefit in this church to hearing what you learned. So I guarantee you somebody needs to know uh, what First John has to say. Uh, but it's, it's good to be back. This morning we're going to continue in our study in Acts. I'll ask you to open up to Acts chapter 15. As we've been going verse by verse through this, this narrative, Luke's historical narrative of the early days of the church... And as you do that, we're going to be in verses 22 through 41 this morning. As you do that, I want to start off with a few questions. What burdens are you carrying this morning? And are they yours to bear? Are you weary from trying to bear something that you can't handle? I ask that question because this morning, as we continue our study in Acts 15, we're going to see a group of people that feel that way, that feel this overwhelming burden that's been placed on them that is not meant for them to bear. They're spiritually confused, they're spiritually frustrated, they're unsettled in their minds, there's instability. As we saw last week, the reason for this is there were some Judaizers in the church that were communicating to this new Gentile group of Christians, baby Christians, and saying, hey, you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You've expressed faith in his work of salvation, but you also need to be circumcised. There's something else that you have to do for salvation. And Blake pointed out to us last week, by the way, how grateful are you you for guys like Blake and Trent? last couple of weeks, just here's the text, here's the gospel. It has, it has definitely uh, warmed my heart, encouraged me over the past couple weeks. And Blake pointed us to the fact that these Judaizers, they were believing in a couple of misconceptions about the gospel, two misconceptions that we too can struggle with, that still to this day, in the days of the church, we may fall to the temptation of believing. That first misconception is that the gospel is for a certain type of person. In their day, it meant the Jews. You you needed to become Jewish to be a Christian. In our day, it may just be, hey, you need to look like us. You need to be like us. The gospel is for our type of people. The second misconception is that salvation comes through faith in Christ and fill in the blank, right? Right? They're filling the blank with circumcision, the sign of the Old Covenant. Now, we don't necessarily fill in our blank with, with that, but what do we fill it with? Because there's a lot of things that we like to, to put in there. It's faith in Christ plus this. And what we saw last week at the Jerusalem Council is the early church met to discuss This topic, I mean, we saw some pillars of the early church speak up. I mean, if you go back and read that passage, you're going to see Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James. I mean, these are the guys that are discussing this topic in the very early days of the church. Essentially, what they're trying to discuss is the doctrine of salvation. What is salvation? How is one saved? Paul and Barnabas in that council relate experiences that they've had in the mission field. Hey, we've been to Antioch. We were there. We saw the Holy Spirit come. We saw these people respond in faith to the effectual call of God on their lives. Peter shared his vision, right? We saw Peter's vision earlier on in Acts. He said, hey, I had a vision. And in that vision, God told me, do not call common what I have made clean and James concludes that discussion hey let's not put anything more burdensome on our brothers and sisters in the gentiles and well, among the gentiles more burdensome than to abstain from those things that are sacrificed to idols from blood from that which is strangled and to abstain from sexual immorality the conclusion of the jerusalem council was according to Scripture, right? Because James quotes the prophets. According to Scripture alone, salvation is, has come, and is to this day, by grace alone, expressed through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all of this for the glory of God alone. This is the same conclusion that has continually been come to by the, by the church throughout all of history. You fast forward, you go to 400, we kind of talked about this yesterday in our new members class, where we talked about what we believe about the gospel, and we walked through church history. You can go to the 300s, and the 400s, and you go all the way to the 1500s, and continually this topic comes up for discussion. What is salvation? And always, the church, based on what we see in scripture, convicted by the Holy Spirit says, is by grace, through faith, in Christ, period. That's it. Nothing else is added. This morning, we're going to see a few more characteristics of the gospel. Some of this is going to be repetitive. Blake kind of prepared us for that weeks ago, right? We're going to start to see some repetition. And I'm grateful for guys like Blake and Trent and Joey who are going to stand before you and just communicate the text, no matter what's repeated or not. And we're not going to try to, okay, you've already talked about this topic, so let me focus on a different aspect of it. It's there for a reason. We talk about authorial intent. What is God intending to communicate? And if you see the same theme constantly coming up, he needs you to know that. He wants you to know that. So we're going to touch on some of the things Blake talked about last week. We're going to look at the freedom that is found in the gospel. We're going to look at the encouragement that comes from the gospel. And we're going to see the perseverance of the gospel. Let's read Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 41. Luke records, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality, If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. The churches. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. Father, as we sang this morning, we, we pray, we ask you to make us more like Jesus. And as our worship team pointed to us in scripture, we know that transformation comes through the renewal of our minds. So this morning, as we study your word, Sanctify us in word and in truth by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, where encouragement is needed this morning, we pray for those hearts. That the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would remove any burden that they're carrying that's not meant for them to bear. And Father, where conviction is needed, where we aren't believing in the full gospel, And we aren't communicating the full gospel. We ask that as well. Give us grace this morning, Father. Help me to speak clearly and accurately from your text and to represent your word as you would see fit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, let's look at the freedom. In the gospel, Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 29, what we see in 22 is that the apostles, the elders, and the whole church in Jerusalem thought it would be a good idea to choose some men from their congregation and send them with Paul and Barnabas to Antioch to communicate their conclusion from this meeting. Now, when I was preparing, I had a couple questions. Why go to Antioch? Why there specifically? Now, we've seen this church already in in Acts. We've seen... uh, where this was a healthy church. Uh, yes, young, but they were healthy. This is where they were first called Christians, baby Christ. And so they go there as the center of the Gentile church at this point. A great place to start. Let's, let's start clarifying the gospel that's been miscommunicated by going to a place where there's a bunch of Greek Hellenists who have been misinformed. Let's start there. Second question I ask is why did they send a couple of guys? What was the point of that? There had to be a purpose, right? They decided, hey, it's a good idea to send a couple of guys from our congregation with these two missionaries to go to Antioch and communicate this message. By doing that, they have removed the opportunity of the Judaizers to accuse Paul and Barnabas from misrepresenting the events that took place at that council. Hey, these are two guys from the Jewish Christian church. They were present, and and Luke describes them as leading men, leading men of their church. These guys were prophets, as we'll see later on. He sends them, and so they go, and they communicate this message. In verse 24, we see the state of the Gentile Christians in the early church. Look at the words that Luke uses to describe them. Troubled. Unsettled in their minds. There's instability. Instability. Possibly some insecurity in their faith. Can you relate to that? Can you identify with the days of the early church where there's some confusion about your faith? Could it be that you're placing some unnecessary burden on top of the work of Christ? Great harm was caused by these Judaizers. They've hurt their brothers. So, in verse 25 through 27, the Jerusalem church that's united, right? That's important. United with one accord. They sent this letter by the hands of these chosen men to go along with Paul and Barnabas. Men that Luke says have risked their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that in Acts already. If you go to Acts chapter 13, I just have to flip back one page. Acts chapter 13, verse 50, there in Antioch and Pisidia. And Luke records, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. You go over one more chapter in Acts chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. There in Iconium, And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, not just the Jews, the Gentiles as well, with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. When they go to Lystra, in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, they sought him out, and they found him, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. These were men who risked their lives for the sake of the Missio Dei, the mission of God. Now why does Luke, I mean, why does the church include this? You got a couple of guys that have sacrificed their life for the church. You got a couple of guys that were leading men in the early days of the Jerusalem church. What's being communicated here is, hey Gentiles in Antioch, listen. Listen. Hold them in high regard. But not just them, more so the message that they're going to bring to you. So what they say is, based on the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's important. And what they have seen in Scripture, which is also important. Those two things need to go together. They should. They will always go together. Based on the conviction of the Holy Spirit and what we have seen in Scripture, as recorded by the prophets, This is our conclusion, Gentiles. You're free. You're free from this burden. You're free from this burden of circumcision. You don't have to become a Jew to become a believer. What they have concluded is that these people have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so they issued an exhortation, not a requirement for salvation. But they issued a guidance in holiness. And Blake talked about this this last week. Respond to that gracious gift first in love. And they list all these things about sacrificing your liberties to eat that which has been sacrificed to false gods. They're not real. You guys know that. But there are some of your Jewish brothers and sisters who would struggle with that if you're eating that. So, So refrain from doing that. The same thing goes with that that has blood or that which has been strangled. You've got Jewish brothers and sisters who will struggle with that and don't cause them to stumble. stumble. So sacrifice of your liberty. You're free to give up your freedoms. Respond in love. And secondly, respond in purity. Leave your former ways. The sexual immorality that was so pervasive in their culture Leave that and pursue holiness. Chase after righteousness. This is how you should respond to the gospel. And they say, if you do these things, you will do well. Church, the gospel brings you freedom. Do we believe and live in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or have we fallen to the temptation to believe one of the misconceptions that the Judaizers believed? One of the thoughts that I, had, I found very interesting this week as I was kind of working through this is do we consider ourselves to be not the right type of person for the gospel? So I'm going to start with that self-application first. Do we consider ourselves to, to be the wrong type of person for the gospel? I hope so. I hope you've come to realize that because we aren't. There is no right type of person for the good news of Jesus Christ. God is holy. And he's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. That's the trisagion. That is the best way possible that could be communicated to describe the infinite holiness of God. We start there because right after that, God says, now be holy. As I am holy. You have been created in our image. Be holy as I am holy. And if we're honest with ourselves and we don't try to justify our sin, we know we fall short of that. And scripture tells us that the penalty of that is eternal death and separation from our Creator. So, church, we aren't the right type of person for the good news. That's important for us to understand. Because if we're communicating to somebody else that they're not the right type of person, we better communicate that neither am I. But God, being rich in grace and mercy, sent his son to pay that penalty that we deserved. Jesus, the son, submitted himself to the authority of his father and willingly laid down his life on our behalf. The perfect sacrifice And three days later, and get this, church, don't miss this. Three days later, he rose from the grave, proving once and for all that sin and its effects have been dealt with. I say that because one of the other things that we have a tendency to do is live in the shame of our guilt and sin. Jesus dealt with that too. That's one of those unnecessary burdens that sometimes we place upon ourselves. For those of us who have already trusted in Christ, like, yeah, I've trusted in Christ, but I've got this self-sanctification thing going on. Jesus, thank you for saving me eternally, but now it's left up to my efforts to become holy, to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, as if he who began a good work in us would not bring it to completion. See, that's another burden that you don't have to bear alone. Let me ask this question maybe you're not there this morning maybe you're not in this point where man I'm just burdened I'm heavy from that's unnecessary do you place some undue burden on your brothers and sisters is there something that you're adding to the gospel and communicating to your brothers and sisters that's something to consider how about this do you love your brothers and sisters sacrificially Blake touched on this last week, but it's the same truth that comes out of this. It's the same application. Are you willing to give up of your liberties so that your brother or sister would not stumble? Do you care for them that way? Do you see them as people that you're going to be united with forever in the kingdom of God and so you care for their soul? And say, No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm free to do this, but I'm not going to because I don't want to cause my brother or sister to stumble. Or do we instead justify our unloving acts by just doing it and declaring, oh, well, they're immature? I mean, we can do a video sermon or something. I don't know. (laughs) Do we love our brothers and sisters sacrificially? What about this? Do we chase after purity? You will do well to do that. Do you run after righteousness? And you know, again, I'm going to go back to this. I didn't. I'm not saying that sanctification is by your own efforts. I'm not saying that, but we are commanded to pursue holiness and righteousness. Are we doing that? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We should be running after holiness. Or is it just kind of one of those things where it's it'll come? Are there issues that we don't really want to deal with right now? Let me focus on something else, because I am a mess, and there's a lot of things, but is the Holy Spirit bringing something to light, convicting you of something, you just don't want to deal with it for now? Scripture says we, we should be chasing after purity. Purity of mind, purity of body, purity of soul. The gospel brings freedom. And with that freedom comes encouragement. Verses, uh, chapter 15, verses 30-34, once the Gentile believers find out that this burden has been lifted from them, look at their response. They're no longer entrapped by a false gospel of faith plus works, and they respond with rejoicing because of the encouragement that it brings. Works-based gospels aren't gospels at all. Gospel literally means good news. And if salvation comes based on my merit, based on your works, that is not good news. That is bad news. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know my heart, and my heart is evil continually. Holy Spirit's working some things out in me. He's he's perfecting me. He's sanctifying me. But there's still some junk in my heart. And if it's left up to me, that's not good news. The true gospel of grace is encouraging to those who have come to grips with the reality of our depravity. Once we realize that we are completely opposed to God, that there is no one righteous, no, not one, the gospel is so encouraging. One of the things that I I try always to do is not to present to you this false image of, uh, like, I've got it all together. So if I'm ever in the middle of something and and it's relevant, I try to be transparent with you as, as my brothers and sisters, as my church. And so I get to do that this morning, unfortunately, in some way. But this feeling of being weighed down and burdened, by something that I'm not meant to bear is something that I'm going through right now. And since I'm in the middle of it, it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of difficult to verbalize. I tried sharing it with my small group this morning, trying to like, this is kind of what it's like, and then, and then it was misunderstood, so I had to clarify again. It's, just, it's really difficult because I'm not on the other side of it yet. But I know the way I feel, what I've done is I've placed way too much emphasis on my efforts. And then when I see failures, I heap on this burden that it's something that I have to bear on my shoulders. And so what I do is I walk, and in, in not in freedom, but in the bondage of, of guilt and shame, the bondage that Christ has delivered me from. Instead, I just lug it around with me. And again, I want to be transparent with you. It's gotten to the point where I just, at times, I just, man, I just give up. Like, I I don't want to keep going through this anymore. I just want to throw in the towel. I don't want to have to deal with this. It's so draining. I don't know about you, but are, are are there times where Man, you're tired of getting your tail kicked all week by Satan. So when you come to this place, man, I'm just praying that God would bring me some relief. That's where I've been. And thank God, Blake Foreman and Trent Whitley. Where are you, Trent? Where are you? Oh, hey. Thank God that these two guys, the last two weeks, have communicated the gospel. Because while I don't know what's going on, I do know this. My relief, my encouragement... Has come from hearing the word of truth proclaimed from Scripture. I do know that. The gospel is encouraging. And when we experience this type of encouragement, we respond the same way this group of early Christians did. We rejoice. We rejoice in the salvation of the gospel. We recognize the fact that, yes, we are wretched sinners. But we don't forget the good news. The good news of the sacrifice, the penalty that was paid on our behalf. The sin that has been dealt with. I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. I find that something to rejoice about. I hope you're with me this morning. there's freedom in the gospel, there's encouragement from the gospel, and then there's also the perseverance of the gospel, as we see in this text. Verses 35 through 41. You know, I recall from the very first uh, morning when we started the study, Blake did that overview, right, that survey, where we kind of flew over the whole book of Acts. And the theme that we kept seeing over and over again was that the The mission of God advances despite opposition. Look where opposition comes this time. Two very influential men in the early days of the church. Act like fools. Paul and Barnabas. Paul told Barnabas, hey, it's going to be a good idea for us. Let's go visit the places where we've already proclaimed the gospel. Let's go check on those places those churches that we love. Let's go let's go see how they're doing. And Satan attacks right there between those two men. The unity of those missionaries. Barnabas wants to bring John Mark. And we brought this up when we were going through this in Acts chapter 13. It was so subtle. And that subtle event leads to this explosion later on in Acts chapter 15. I'll point you back to Acts 13, verses 13 through 14. Chapter 13, verses 13 through 14. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Luke doesn't spend a lot of time there, does he? John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Dude checked out. It was too tough. So Paul, concerned about that, says, no, I I don't want to bring him. I don't want to bring him on this missionary journey. And And I'm not going to speculate as to the conversation that could have been had between those two. Luke doesn't spend time talking about who is right and wrong. He doesn't do that here. I don't think we should either. Because really, what happens is when it says that there arose a sharp disagreement about this, I'll tell you this, both of them were wrong in the way they handled it. Because the language that's used there is referring to an emotion, emotionally violent conversation, likely yelling, harsh language being used between these two guys, to the point where they just walk away. I mean, they part ways, and they go to different parts of the globe. Barnabas took Mark with him, went to Cyprus. Paul took Silas with him, went to Syria and Cilicia. What's the outcome here, the overall outcome? The gospel perseveres. The mission of God continues to expand, despite the foolishness of his servants. The gospel is multiplied. Praise God for that, right? I mean, how many of us are grateful that despite our foolishness, God continues to work things out for his glory and our good disunity between Paul and Barnabas is nothing to downplay this was a serious issue this is a sin issue I'm grateful that God inspired Luke to record this so that we would not idolize Paul and Barnabas that we would see them the same way we see ourselves that we are wretched sinners they were wretched sinners Instead, we worship the sovereign God of the universe who, despite the foolishness of man, continues his mission. He uses it. He redeems it. Doesn't mean it was a good thing, but he makes it a good thing. The gospel will prevail because it is the means through which God's mission will be accomplished. As the gospel is proclaimed, God will effectually call people of all tongues, tribes, and nations to himself until the day when our king returns. The gospel perseveres. That's something that we should find hope in, that we should find joy in, as participants in this mission. I want to wrap up with a few implications First, to those of you who are believers. I'm going to read a psalm to you from Psalm 32. I want you to listen to the language. You can read it. It'll be up here. But listen to the description of the man. What we're going to see here is we're going to see... uh, David is the author and he's going to communicate some things. Then we're going to see the voice of God kind of mixed in here at the end and then he'll have some concluding remarks. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Hear the voice of the Lord. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Concluding remarks, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Church, there's freedom in the gospel. Jesus said in John, in John's gospel, it's recorded, whom the Son has set free, you are free indeed. Live in that freedom. Don't bear something that you weren't intended to bear. Pursue righteousness. Pursue holiness. Be open to conviction. But also realize that it's been handled, it's been dealt with on the cross. The consequences of your sin... Jesus took that on. And with that freedom comes encouragement, comes rejoicing. Even more so in the fact that it will persevere. This gospel, it will last. It will endure. We're getting ready to, to sing a song in a little bit. And it's caused some controversy in the church. I appreciate our worship team being open to have a discussion to, to talk about the lyrics. One of the things that came up was we want our church to think about what they're singing. I can appreciate that. I hope you do. It's a song called Reckless Love. And I, I hope what you've seen in Scripture is that what you may fall, to, fall prey to is thinking that God just is reckless. He loves without consideration. He just goes after it. And that's not necessarily what's being communicated. From our perspective, if we just had our man-centered perspective, sure, it does sound like that. Because what is communicated is the extent to which God goes to pursue us. That he will climb any mountain. That he will kick down any wall that's there. That's exactly what he did. He did whatever it took. And it took one thing and one thing only. There was only one way he sent his son to die on our behalf. But if you look at the lyrics, if, as you're singing them, consider what, what it's saying. Before we even spoke a word, before we even took a breath, before the foundation of the, the world, God saw fit, determined that he would pursue us. So in that sense, it's not completely reckless. It's not with complete abandonment. It's very calculated what he's done. That should bring you some comfort this morning. Encouragement that he saw fit to come after us. Let's rejoice this morning. And look, if you're one of those that's that's like me right now, just bearing something, in this time of worship as we go into it, I, I just encourage you to do what I did this week. I was with some kids. I was transparent with them. Hey, I'm struggling, guys. Pray for me. But I prayed to to God in the middle of whatever song it was we were singing. I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to take this. And he will bring healing. He will transform your mind to believing the truth of Scripture and saying, "I, I don't have to bear that. I don't have to walk in shame and in guilt. And if you're here this morning and, man, you're curious about Christianity, you're curious about what Scripture says and all this stuff with Jesus, maybe you've been exposed to it somewhat and maybe you're completely skeptical of all this. I want you to know that the same freedom and joy can be yours. Believe in the gospel of salvation that God is holy and you are not. And if you're honest with yourself, you know you're not. You know there's something corrupt in your heart. We're all there. The penalty for falling short of that is eternal death and separation from the creator of the universe. But God saw fit to send his son to pay the penalty of that sin. The wages of sin is death, and that's exactly what Jesus, the God-man, God come down to earth in the form of man. That's That's what he did. He experienced death. He became our sin. And in place, he has credited us with his righteousness, undeserved, unmerited. That is grace. It's the scandalous grace that Blake talked about last week. So if you call On the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, trust in his work of salvation, you will be saved. So I would encourage you to do that this morning. Let's pray.